As we do every Friday, it is Ben Fred Friday on Scoops with Danny Mac, and we're coming to you from the Lou Fuse Automotive Studios. If you haven't seen what's going on with Lou Fuse, you got a kid out there, make sure they get involved with the program of Lou Fuse Athletic. They've got lacrosse, they've got football, they've got soccer, and some of the best facilities uh, in town. So make sure and support Lou Fuse. Randy Fuse, who runs the Fuse Automotive Group with his brothers, are doing a tremendous job. So please support our sponsors, and they are the sponsor of the Lou Fuse Studios. Let's bring in Ben Fredrickson from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And Ben, uh, we got to start with baseball. Maybe this will all be baseball, depending on where we go. But 99 Problems is what you wrote uh, in the paper today. And I don't know if there's 99. There might be 30. There might be 130. I don't know. But there's a lot of problems right now with the Cardinals. And I don't think anybody saw this coming. Man, Dan, no kidding. Um, We knew the the pitching would be could be thin we knew it could be an issue but i think the cardinals thought even if it was there they would have other strengths that carried them to the point where they could they could worry about that on the fly and that has not been the case they do have all kinds of issues right now um i do think their pitching is is the biggest one but certainly not the only one and they're playing like a team that's under pressure they're playing like a team that's pressing and they're playing like a team that has watched some of what should be its strengths start to um you know fray on them at the worst possible times they're 10 and 22 they've got a thir- 313 win percentage they're 10 games back of the division leading pirates what year is this they yeah. have lost six in a row worst losing streak in baseball worst record in the national league and here's the frustrating part dan is you can kind of if there's a silver lining and uh, trust me i know it's um i know it's probably a little tarnished the other teams in the division are finally cooling off. There, there's not a team in the division other than the Reds, and they stink, that have won more than five of their last ten games. And the Cardinals, unfortunately, haven't been able to take advantage because they're 1-9 and nine in their last ten, while some of the other teams in front of them are actually giving them a chance to, to climb ahead. It's interesting, too. They are 5 now and 11 at home. And the starters ERA is the fourth worst since 1906 through 16 home games. It's uh, close to, I think, six and a half, something like that. I got to do the numbers here this morning. But going into the game yesterday, it was 5-9-1. Starting pitching at home just hasn't gotten it done. And I think it begins, not to use a cliche, but it starts with the starters. Absolutely. And and you... You can't really get any forward traction until you're able to kind of pass the baton in that rotation. It had gotten a little bit better, and then all of a sudden you have a game like yesterday for Jack Flaherty who you know, can't get to three innings, and that you know requires them to use a ton of relievers. They're down 10 runs after he allows a career-high 10, and that game is it's not over at that point, but it sure feels like it's close. And, and that happens too often for this rotation where someone just kind of drops out. So... I thought Jack was interesting after the game yesterday. He was frustrated, clearly. Um, he was you know, emotional. He, he wants to be good so bad. He gets so upset when things get derailed on him. Um, and he said, he said it. He said, if I was average, you know, they find a way to win that game. And he's right. But he also said something that I think is, is interesting. And I don't know if it, if it got maybe the, the attention that it should have. You know, he was frustrated by the two-strike hits. They, I think the... I think you know he allowed seven hits in ten two strike opportunities, and he was saying, "Hey, I've got to be better there." It wasn't like I was falling behind. I'm, I'm, I was making pitches that were too easy to hit with two strikes. Too many balls hit hard. He said, and I quote, "Our whole staff are throwing pitches that don't make sense, not execute, 
and not executing, poor pitch selection, a whole bunch of things. You can wrap it all up into the into one that kind of went into today. So that raises eyebrows perhaps about what's going on in the planning and the in the of course the execution. A new catcher in Wilson Contreras, who is now hitting after a slow start offensively, but the Cardinals have lost nine consecutive games in which he started behind the plate, Dan. And you've got, of course, the new pitching coach at Dusty Blake. And I do think there could be a, just some, beyond just the execution, there could be some some struggles here to, to get everybody on the same page when it comes to how to attack and also how to execute. And it sounded like maybe Flaherty was showing some signs of frustration there. I said, hey, you know, a comment like that makes you wonder if you're referencing the other new voices in this group. And Jack kind of pushed back against that and said it's all about him and the other pitchers executing. But you got to remember, this is a new catcher. It's a new pitching coach. And clearly, there's been some turbulence here. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at the numbers. St. Louis pitchers hard hit percentage, which is 95 miles an hour or better with two strikes, is 43%. The league average is 35%. Yeah. So that'll that'll tell you something's going on with two strikes, and this has been a trend not just now, but I went back and looked at what was happening in San Francisco on the road trip. They could not put hitters away with two strikes, and that happened again in the series with uh, with the uh, with the Los Angeles Angels. I mean, you look at Ward's three run home run in Game One, two strikes. Lamb game tying home run Game Two, two strikes. There's an issue there, and, and like I said uh, before, I don't know if it's Yachty. I don't know if it's new pitching coach. I don't know if it's execution with guys trying to be perfect because there's pressure to win games. And maybe it's a combination of all that, but they've got to get that figured out and figured out in a hurry. Yeah, and and I, I think that there's a lot of pressure on not walking guys, and they're and there, there, there should be, but that doesn't mean that you you pipe by balls down the middle. A lot of stuff mid, a lot of stuff up in the zone. It seems like, and the Cardinals seem to have their most success when they're when they're down and in the corners. So I think I think if you look at some of the stuff, uh, you know, there's a lot of I think really people bashing Contreras as being the reason. I'm not ready to go there yet. Uh, no, there there could be some some things that just you have to kind of gel on the fly with a new catcher and calling games of what guys, what guys need to have. That would have been with any new catcher. I'm not ready to just completely trash Contreras as the reason here, because how many times do we see it where he sets up a location and the pitcher misses it? That's happening often. Um, you've seen times when Steven Matz is allowed a home run and then come out of the game and later said, yeah, I shook off Contreras on the pitch that I should have thrown and then gave up a home run. So I think blaming the new catcher is um, is maybe too easy of an out. Contreras has had some issues catching some balls that should be caught. He's had some issues blocking, but he's not as bad as people seem to think. He's not Yachty in his prime, but no one was going to be. No. His pitch framing has looked league average. His blocking hasn't been off the charts bad. There's been some memorable examples of times where you wish he would have gotten in front of one, but that's what happens when your team is losing. Every single little mistake gets amplified and there's that constant pressure. I think we're seeing it in this team's defense across the board, too. We've seen some some uncharacteristic play defensively, some balls bounce around the outfield that usually don't, some balls bounce off Tommy Edmond that usually don't. And I don't know, Dan, if that gets traced back to the fact that everyone's trying to be perfect, but there clearly is some sort of pressure building on this group, and it's not 
motivating them to perform, I, I think in some ways it's it's kind of unraveling them at times. And they're they're a very tense group right now. And I don't know what that what needs to happen to undo that. Is it just a win? They 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 can win from time to time, but they don't. They haven't won back to back games in twenty tries. Um, they haven't uh, they haven't won three consecutive games all season. I'm to the point where, and this is not analytic minded. I'm to the point where maybe they just need to get in a fight with somebody <laughs> and just blow off some steam, or you know, they, they they have to have some sort of pressure release because I think they're all just bound up right now. Well, one of the things you can do is shake up the current roster that you have. So right. I do wonder if Stephen Matz will make the start on Sunday. It's it's tough to put a guy making that kind of money in your bullpen. Sometimes out of necessity, you have to do that. Matthew Liberator has pitched well in the minor leagues, and he was the pitcher of the month in the minor leagues. So I do wonder if Matt's, you know, if you do something Sunday, now you have Wayno coming back Saturday, but if you do something Sunday or you give him one more crack at it, and if it doesn't improve, then you've got to make a change probably there. Yeah, I think I think Libby's ready for a shot. He's got two that two one four ERA in Memphis through six starts. He's been doing what they asked him to do. And right now you can't ignore a guy who's had some major league experience who's suggesting that maybe he's ready now. Um, you can't ignore that with the way this rotation is trending. Steven Matz, it's been the same thing since he got here. It's the same thing that really made him a question mark and a puzzling pitcher with the Mets. It's that one bad inning thing where he could pitch great and then when something goes wrong, it just it just avalanches on him. I think you have to really think about putting him in the bullpen. I know it's uncomfortable, but this team has to make some uncomfortable choices right now. And he might not be the only one who gets bumped from that rotation. I'm curious to see what Wainwright does Saturday. Um, and and Master Retort can be a separate conversation, but you nailed it on the numbers. How bad have they been at home? And what does Wainwright always, almost always find a way to do if he's healthy? Pitch well at home. So, you know, I'm 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 not going to write Adam Wainwright off. I understand that the the rehab starts were not amazing in terms of uh, the velocity and sometimes the results, but I want to see what that guy can do. And I also want to see the record is the record. This team tends to play better when Adam Wainwright pitches. You can say that's fluke. You can say that's that's what he means to them. You can settle somewhere in the middle. But if his return and his fight against you know, father time cannot motivate this team and cannot provide some some lift, then I don't know what can. That is something to me where you look to see how they play with Adam Wainwright on the mound just as much as you look to see how he pitches. And then the other thing that's coming up, it's going to be an absolutely, if they can't fire up for this, then I don't know what to tell you, is that trip to Wrigley Field. They're going to go into Wrigley Field when they leave this homestand, Dan, and they're going to take Wilson Gutierrez back to Chicago, and he's going to get booed, and he's going to get cussed, and there might be some there might be a, some jawing going on after the way he talked about the Cardinals and kind of threw some shade at the Cubs this offseason. And I don't blame Cubs fans one bit for wanting to give the Cardinals the business because they are having a great start to their season, and the Cardinals are are in a spot where you can kick them when they're down. And every team in this division loves to try to kick the Cardinals when they're down because they're not down very often. If they can't get fired up for that series in Chicago and they play flat and look look flat there, that's a huge, huge red flag. What do you think is going on with Nolan Arenado? If you could put your finger on it, uh, the bats don't look right. For I think he's pressing in you know, incredibly, yeah. but uh, I, I I just can't put my finger on it. I would say this, though, 
I would say he is the example of what's happening on every aspect of this team, trying to hit a five-run homer and trying to do everything he can, understanding he's a leader, understanding he's making a lot of money, and understanding a lot of expectations fall on him and Goldschmidt. Goldie's off to a great start, by the way. That's been one of the positives. But uh, it's tough to put your finger on one thing right now with Nolan Arnato. Yeah, I mean, Goldschmidt's off to such a good start that the team is playing so terribly, we're not talking anything about it. He's averaging 300 and slugging 500 at the point of the season where sometimes he starts slow. Well, by the Uh, way... He's he's playing really well. His hard hit rate percentage is almost double what it was last year. I mean, it's incredible. And his whiff percentage has dropped, and it's the lowest of his career so far. So you talk about a guy that is locked in, it's, it's Paul Goldschmidt. Yep, Goldie's locked in. Nolan Gorman is locked in. I think Edmund and Newt Barr are are playing really well, and Contreras is hitting now. So, so that that was kind of a big question mark early, but now he's been very steadily thumping since uh, his slow start. So Especially those are your guys who are providing the offense. We didn't mention any outfielders because mm. the outfield has been a just a, continued to be just a, a place where production goes to to die for this team. But your question about Nolan is a great one. I hope. I hope, you know, there's been no indication, there's been no comment from the team or indication that he's dealing with any sort of a physical injury or ailment. Sometimes, you know, I'm the first to say we don't always know what we don't know. Sometimes guys try to play through stuff. I don't know if that's going on here or not. That's they've not said that that's the case. Um, He did go to. You know, he went through one of those swing overhauls this offseason. I would overhaul might be a stretch, but he went to I think it was drive line and and really wanted to try to work on getting power the opposite way. And anytime I hear that, and I, I, I guess this is maybe this makes me old man screaming at a cloud. I'm like a I'm like a thirty three year old ranting against analytics. I, no, I'm kidding. I <laughs> like analytics, but but I do I do always have a pause when guys show up to spring training after really good years. And they're, they're talking about some things they want to do differently offensively. We saw it with Brendan Donovan. He came to spring training. He wants to hit for more power. Um, and that's great. But do you abandon some of the things he did so well last year? He's got a 303 on base percentage this year. He hasn't been kind of the, the just the, the impossible to get out hitter that he was last year. And it's not exactly showing up in the, in the power. He's slugging 352. So, with with Arenado, his swing is so well tuned, finely tuned all the time. It looks off. Um, he looks a little hesitant. He looks like he's he's is it's not quite there for him. And I think you're seeing that at the season ends today. It's the worst offensive season he's ever had, and he will work himself ragged to try to get that swing to where it's in the right place, where it's a feel thing for him. And you can tell by the cuts he's taken, he doesn't have it. So his timing is. It's just a tick off and he could go and and hit, you know, multiple home runs tonight and take off on a tear like that wouldn't surprise me. But the fact that it's now, you know, 30 plus games in and he hasn't found it, I I think that's concerning. And I think offensively, it's the number one reason this team hasn't been producing more. I mean, if you go by adjusted OPS with 100 being league average, he's at 69. I mean, he's he's more than 30 percent points below the league average for a guy who should be you know, well, well, well on the positive side of 100. You know, Nolan Gorman, you brought up him, and he has been solid, but I'll tell you this, and this is for fans that are listening and and, and maybe wondering why he's having this success. I mean, he's crushing, 
crushing fastballs as opposed to what he did last yeah. year. It's a 635 slug, which is great. I mean, compared to last year, 348. But against sliders, it's 091. So when you're watching what's happening with Nolan Gorman, I, I would assume he's going to start seeing a lot of off-speed. He's going to start seeing sliders, and it'll be up to him to make that adjustment. But, you know, give him credit. So far, so good. I love it that he went into the offseason with a plan of, like, they beat me on fastballs last year, especially ones high and up in the zone. So I'm either going to not swing at those or I'm going to make sure that I, I can find a way to, to change my swing a little bit to hit them if they're up there and I, and I want to swing at strikes. So it's been two edges. It's been giving up on stuff that he can't punish and, and, and really kind of trying to focus his swing on being able to get to those. So that's, that's baseball, right though, Dan, they find your hole, you adjust it, you close it, and then they go and look for another one. And, and that's going to be what keeps Nolan Gorman in the game for a long time or any of these guys, you have to adjust and then kind of recalibrate once they adjust to you and you go back and forth and back and forth. But the fact that he has closed that hole at the top of the zone and really found a way to punish fastballs is it's impressive to me. It also, I think shows you the track record that he's had, you know, you you talk with Brian Walton and I'm sure he's mentioned this before the track record for Dolan Gorman at every level was he would get to the new level and he would kind of, he would struggle for a little bit and then he would get his feet underneath him and he would start and he would just take off. And that was one thing the Cardinals hoped that, that he would do this year. And it's one thing that has absolutely happened. It's something that's gone as well for this team as they could have hoped. He's got a team high seven home runs. And yeah, the league has to adjust to him because he's killing them. So how can he how can he respond to it when it happens? It's going to be interesting. I, I'm to the point where I want to see Nolan Gorman play every day, whether he's at DH or second, doesn't matter. I want to see him in the lineup every day. I don't I don't necessarily want to see him as a platoon guy. When he's hitting like this, I think you get him at bats against everybody. Um, I know everybody lost their minds the other day when he was pinch hit for by Taylor Motter. That's because his back was tied on him. So we'll have to monitor that this weekend to see if he's going to miss some time with that or if it was just a one-game blip. I would assume from Ollie's perspective, the front office perspective, that Tyler O'Neill is as frustrating as it gets with what they expected this year. You know, yep. he's pulled from that game against the Braves. There's been 23 games since then. He's hitting roughly about 215, but no power um, that's that's kind of a enigma for me with with Tyler O'Neill. I, I expected more out of him, and again, you could get more out of him in the final five months of the the season, which is a long time. But right now, it just hasn't lived up to the expectations of the team, and they were really counting on him. And they've they've changed their out, outfield plans in some ways in order to try to get the best out of him. Um, and this is my opinion, but one of the reasons I think this outfield is so messed up is because how the Cardinals tried to build their whole thing around Tyler O'Neill this offseason. We came to the Cardinals came into spring training talking about Tyler O'Neill's a center fielder. He needs a chance to prove it. None of us saw the real the argument for that. They had Dylan Carlson, they had Lars Newbar. Well let why, me let me say why, this though. Hold on. Right. I, I think the reason that you did that with O'Neill was to say, look, last year was a year in which, you know what? You should have been better. Maybe there were times, remember they questioned his effort at times even last year. And by giving him center field, they said, hey, this is yours. We're going to get the most out of it because you're going to get the most out of it. This is a big year for you. We'll put you in center. You're a two-time gold glover. 
and go for it. So that's where I think the motivation was to put O'Neal in center, to get him motivated to go for it. And, and, and it, it, if that was the case, it didn't work. Yeah. Because here he is, and it's 30 games in, and he's got 34 strikeouts and two home runs. He's been questioned about his effort running the bases. Um, they send Jordan Walker out because, you know, all of a sudden the outfielders need more comfort. They need to know their roles better. Okay, Jordan Walker's numbers are starting to look better when he was in St. Louis than Tyler O'Neill's are now. Um, I wonder if you go back in the back way back machine and gone to spring training and said, the competition for center field is Lars Newtbar and Dylan Carlson and everyone else is competing for the corners in DH. Would that have changed some of the outfield production that we're seeing now? Easy to wonder about, impossible to answer, but of all of the guys they bet on again this season, all of the double down guys that they put eggs in that basket, few were bigger than Tyler and he's simply not producing. And I'm sorry, but I will not give any credence to the argument that this is because Ali Marmol called him out, you know, a month no, ago. I, if, I if that if that has led to this, then I'm sorry, but you gotta be tougher. You gotta yeah, be better. I agree. Um, he's been healthy, but he's not producing. And the strikeouts are too high and the power is not there. And, you know, the defense is good and the speed is good. But he's got to be a guy who hits power for as much as he strikes out, and it's not happening. And at some point, the Cardinals are going to have to say they got a great season out of Tyler O'Neill. How many seasons are they willing to commit to hoping they can get more? I got a question for you. Would you go with a set outfield for, let's say, over a week, a week and a half, and say, okay, and I know they've kind of done this, but say here's 10 games. Here's the three that we're going to go with. Sorry about the fourth outfielder. You may come in and pinch hit, pinch run, go in for defense. I don't care. But these are the three that we're going to set out there. They're going to play the same position, and you're going to be in the same position in the lineup. Well, I think that's that's what they can. That's all they can try to do because their other attempt of hey, we're going to let everybody compete for every at bat. It's it's not worked. Um, I would have preferred to leave Jordan Walker up and say. We called this the year of competition. Figure it out. Yeah, and, and I do think it sends mixed messages when you call it the year of competition, and the guys who go down to spring and work their tails off and secure spots are Jordan Walker and Zach Thompson. And right now, this team has sent Jordan Walker to Memphis. He was struggling. Like I'm not. I'm not glossing over the numbers. He had things he needed to work on, but. Every outfielder has things in this group that they need to work on. But he was the he was the odd man out after winning a job at spring, and he's sent out. That sends a little bit of a message. The other guy, Zach Thompson, pitches well at spring, secures a spot in the bullpen, is a is a reliable piece of this bullpen, and all of a sudden he's sent out to be built back up as a starter. So it can't really be the season of competition if you're taking guys who did well in those competitions and making them the first guys to go. So I, I I have no problem with continuing to just let the outfield churn happen, but I'm also maybe to the point where, you know, I'm not truly convinced that they have their answers there right now. And so whether you give those guys a lot of run or whether you give them, you know, show up to the lineup and figure out if you're in or not, I don't know that it makes a huge difference, but I understand the thought behind, well, the other way didn't work, so try try back this way. 
But if that doesn't work either, well, then you've got your answer and, and there's really nothing left to say. No one is good enough of securing an everyday role. And that, that maybe could be the case until Walker is ready. I think Newt Barr is in that. I think Newt Barr can do that. I think he is doing that. He was delayed because of the, the injury. But you look at what he's starting to do offensively, and he's proving he's a key part of this team. Carlson, I like what he's bringing defensively in center. And I think you you may just have to live with that. But if, if O'Neal's not producing and he's playing corner, then they've got to get more production from that spot. Well, you look at Carlson, and it was a really slow start offensively, but he has improved. And that's one of the things that will keep you in a lineup if you're doing something that is going to keep you in a lineup, which is hitting. You know, his first 15 games, he was hitting 205. And his last eight games, he's hitting above 300. That'll keep you in the lineup. And we know defensively, big arm and can cover ground and center. Not the fastest of guys, but plenty speed and gets pretty good jumps. So I think that's one of the guys that you say, for at least for right now, let's ride out what he's doing and, and keep him out there. Yeah, I think that's and I think that's fair. And I think we really should have been Carlson or Newt Bar in center from the jump. Um, and and that's I, I mean, you can find the first chat we had about O'Neill in center. And I probably would I, I, if I didn't say the same thing, I'll buy somebody lunch because I didn't understand that move from the beginning. And I think it kind of jammed things up. So I got no problem with Carlson in center field. I am curious to see, Dan, if they. You know, if they bring back Juan Yepes at some point, just to try to get somebody in there, I don't know how much he would play, but try to get you know some sort of offensive spark off the bench who can maybe make maybe spend some time at DH. Maybe that gives you a little more offensive threat than having kind of the you know the the double up of of Paul DeYoung and, and Taylor Motter there. But that's not going to be right now. That's not going to be the the make or break answer. These guys are are getting the commitment of playing time, and it, and it's a matter of them producing or not. So some signs to see their progress for Carlson, but right now I think the the focus has to be one, once again back on Tyler O'Neill. I'm not one of those guys that says, "Well, you got to roll out the set lineup every day," and players are, you know, they they are creatures of habit. But this is the big leagues; you should be able to adjust. And I hear from players all, or from uh, fans all the time saying, hey, I wish the same players were in the, the lineup every day and didn't move out a particular spot. So I'm curious with you, where you stand on that? And I, I'm also going to say this, when you're losing, and they're losing a bunch, you got to shake things up. So that's part of, I think, the lineup adjustment. But where do you stand on having a lineup every day that's set and you know where you're going to plug and play some guys? Well, if you win, it looks uh, genius. Yeah. You're the Dodgers with a with a different lineup for every pitcher that you face and you've got so many weapons you you stack them all in whatever order and you look like you're a deep and and well-managed team and if you're losing and doing it then it looks like you have nobody it looks like you're you're panicked right and that that's the case with any team people like stability um when it's working and they like changes when they're working and and if if the cardinals lineup was static and Ali didn't change anything and they were losing like this, people would be losing their minds because he's not shaking things up. Yeah. But when he's when he's changing it and they're losing, well, then it has to be stability that has the answer. Um, they're losing. They're not performing well offensively as they should because guys like Nolan Arenado aren't producing. It doesn't matter where they're, where they're hitting. That's kind of where, where I think. I like a lineup that has certain spots that seem really cemented. And that's why I like... In the se- entering the season, the idea of, of Goldschmidt, Arnado, Contreras, and then I like kind of the flow around those guys. So that's that's what I think is best when you've got some guys who are kind of rooted in spots, but 
other guys who can flex and flow depending on their performance and and the matchups. But right now, it's a matter of they're just looking for something that sparks and looking for something that takes. And they've got guys who have really done nothing to say, hey, I'm in there every day. I'm talking about guys outside of the the guys we know are the tried and true regulars. So they're going to go based off of what the profile of the pitcher is and who's had the most the best play as as of late, and they're going to factor in the defense, and they're going to also get other guys' opportunities because they're looking for some sort of spark. So I, I think it's had more fluidity than they probably hoped at times, but I also think that that Ollie has said from the jump this lineup is going to change and fluctuate at a lot of different spots based off of matchups and performance. So I, I think it I think it's a totally reverse engineered thing about performance where if it changes and it works then it's genius and if it changes and it doesn't work then it's then it's instability that's leading to the lack of production i I don't see that being the case i I think that a lot of these guys understand they're going to be in and out of the lineup up and down and here's the deal if the outfielders and that's where a lot of this talk comes from you know because john mozillock came out and said the outfielders needed some more maybe routine and some more chance to get into a flow they're not producing now that they've had that either, some of them. So really, it may or not, may, it may not be how they're used in and out of the lineup. It may just be how they are as players. What would you do as we wrap it up? What would you do if this continues this weekend or even just generally speaking that you're not winning series? What's the next step? Because I know fans are curious about what could happen to try to turn this thing around. What would you do? Well, I would have some sort of... Uh, I think they need to have some sort of a, of a huddle about pitch calling and, and, and game management and some of that stuff because it seems that there's some issues that are being voiced there. That has to happen regardless. Get Wayne right back. Hope that he can you know have one last ride. I'd get Libertor up for a chance to see what he could do based off what he's doing in Memphis. And then I would you know if if it continues to to circle like this, I would make a point to go out and find the guys at Memphis who are playing well. And say, hey, you know, we're going to give you a shot to see if you can help at the major league level. I wouldn't mind seeing Luke and Baker get some at bats here at the majors if this team continues to drag. Why Where are you going to put him though? Where are you going to put him? I mean, he's blocked at first, him. and DH is, you know, Gorman at this point. Well, I mean, you can't tell me that they can't find a place for Luke and Baker to get in that bat if they got Taylor Motter on the team and he's never playing. No, okay, I that's mean, fair. Maybe, maybe you send the, maybe you make that last spot on the roster. Uh, revolving tryout um and it, i'm not i'm not saying that's going to be what launches these guys look if nolan arenado is going to have his career worst year offensively and their rotation is going to be you know toward the bottom of the national league and quality starts in era they're probably not gonna be a very good team right um, and one guy in memphis right now is not going to change that but i would want i would want the guys who are going to be a part of the future playing if they feel like this season's getting away from them and i would think hard about uh you know maybe getting uh and this would be down the line but maybe getting a guy like mason Wynn up here to see what the major league looks like i mean that would be a turning of the page probably on this season and it's premature but if it keeps going then if you're not going to make some sort of big shakeup like a trade to maybe try to alter the the chemistry of the room a little bit um then then you at least have to see if you can maybe get something good um, experience-wise for some of these other guys, or find out if you've maybe got someone who's who's been waiting to be called upon but hasn't gotten that opportunity. So people won't like that answer because it would seem like raising a white flag, 
But as of right now, you know, if you can go out and swing a, a big trade, like who else is making that deal? It's it's early May. So I think it's going to have to come from within. And it's going to have to come from from these guys. But preferably immediately, if I were a player on this team or something, I might try to find something to do that either eases the tension in the room or finds a release point for it. Because right now it's it's a combination between flat and incredibly tense and that's a really tough way to win. Well, reminder, we're brought to you by Triad Bank. If you need your banking needs, go see Jim Regno. I'll have a cup of coffee with you and tell you what you need to do. Lordo's Diamonds, your family jeweler for life, located in the heart of Ladue, right around the corner of the Ascension Charity Classic. Get your tickets, ascensioncharityclassic.com. All right, Ben, we do this every Friday. I think we broke down the Cardinals pretty well, and if fans uh, are listening, everything's going to happen right because of what you just said. <laughs> oh wait, I want to add one more. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't uh hate the idea of like Yadier Merlina coming back and just hanging out for a while. <laughs> I mean like can he just come visit? Like can all the people who were who were who were roasting Yadi for his basketball excursion last year, are they the same people who are saying that Yadi being gone is the one thing that this team is is totally missing? I'm just curious about uh how that has flipped, but you know, it would it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if uh, if Yachty just kind of came and observed maybe for like two or three or four days or perhaps a road trip. That I know he's got a lot of on his plate, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I'm just saying. Second half uh, Albert wouldn't be the worst thing either. No kidding, <laughs> stupid angels and their and their personal services contract. Although maybe he could have been. Why well, wasn't he here for? I don't know. Albert was huge in this terms of. Some of the things behind closed doors, this is how we do things. This is not how we do things. Don't do that. Like He did a lot of that stuff, even in his one year back with the team. And this team has leaders in terms of performance. I do think with Adam being gone, you know, you can't really do some of the th- same things you can do when you're injured. I do think there is maybe some, some, some bit of a, I don't want to say a leadership void, because ultimately the thing you can do as a leader is go play well. And Paul Goldschmidt is an example of how to do that. But I do think maybe there are there's some some searching going on for the guys who who deliver those messages, who who set those standards in the clubhouse. I think that's a little bit up in the air right now because they've lost some guys who who really kind of did that naturally for years. Buddy, thanks for doing this, and we'll catch you up next Friday and enjoy your weekend. Sounds good, man. See you.